Welcome to Remarkably, episode 17 of The Fear of God. Uh, as Shania Twain would say, looks like we made it. I am one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. Typically with me is Reed Lackey, but he went looking for an old high school buddy and, I don't know, some weirdness ensued. And I'm just kidding. Reed, there you are, buddy. How, how are you? I'm doing all right, man. <laughs> Boy, I'm going to start to, the episodes that you lead, I'm going to start being very specific cause, just because I want to see what you come up with for what strange and mysterious thing that I'm actually doing Yes. instead of sitting here recording with you. Exactly. Well, really, you're sitting there recording with me. That's true. You're not like sitting here with me. That's true. That's you're true. sitting way, way over there. Um, <laughs> so yes, uh, fear of God listeners, thank you for joining us once more this week. I dare say we have a bit of a present for you. Um, you know, I mean, it's possible, Reed, you could say we, we, we're going to put a little bow on this one, you know? Yeah. We're yeah. Gonna- I like, I like it. You could. I mean, you could almost say that we have an early Christmas gift for for our you listeners. You could, you could, but see, you just went ahead and did it. So, oh yeah, I guess <laughs> so much for playing with the with the you know language anymore. You just oh. hand it to them. So yes, in fact, today we are talking about, <laughs> talking about uh, the Joel Edgerton Joel, right? Yeah, it's Joel. Okay, mm-hmm. right. Joel Edgerton, written and directed, uh, impressively so, um, The Gift. Read anything we need to talk about? I mean, well, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think we, I think we can kind of dive right into it. Uh, I, I, one of the things that I think is so interesting about this, you mentioned that he directed and wrote it, but I mean, he also, he also produced this. This is a complete, like, Joel Edgerton work. You know, Soup to Nuts, this is, this is his baby. This is, uh, you know, a story that he was clearly, uh, you know, since he wrote it, clearly wanted to tell, wanted to direct it, stars in it. And, uh, and I think as a, as a first feature outing, it's an outstanding movie. I, I was, I really, in watching it a second time, yes, listeners, I've only seen this twice. Um, <laughs> in watching this a second time, I, uh, it, it just stood out to me so much, even as I'm watching it. So you could say it was a, a regift. It was a regifting. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh boy. Everybody get your, uh, your spiked eggnog ready for all of the puns, <laughs> all of the, uh, <laughs> the gift puns that are going to take place. But, um, I, uh, just as I was watching it, I was immediate, I was worried that, my rewatching of it was going to be perhaps a bit duller now that I knew some of the conceits of the film. It's a gift you'd already received. I mean, like, yeah, but it does it. Boy, it it kept on giving because uh, <laughs> it uh, 
It really, I, I just found myself completely getting swept away in it again, you know, like I, I just feel like it's, uh, I don't know if it's something that's on a personal level. Maybe this is something we're going to explore through the episode, but, but, um, there's something about this film that I just really strongly connect to and strongly respond to. Even though this would kind of like 10 Cloverfield Lane, this would not necessarily be classified strictly as a horror film. Uh, maybe not even vaguely as a horror film. It's definitely a thriller. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. it's not like gory or anything, but I think. In fact, what I wrote down was it falls into like the stalker subgenre. I mean, I, oh, I mean, I agree with you. I yeah. agree with you. Thriller is an appropriate word, but um, I, I, I don't think it's a stretch to to put it in there with the horror movies. Well, thank you for validating that because I was yeah, about to apologize that's what I'm here for, for. I appreciate it's like, it. It's like with you as always is Garth. That's what I'm here for. Uh, <laughs> <I'm> gonna... <laughs> oh, and no. I am not worthy. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I think there's just, yeah, like I said, and maybe some more of why will come out as we sort of talk through this and, and unpack a little bit of this movie. But there's something very resonant in me uh, with this story. And it, it isn't just the theme that's present and, and at times almost even on the nose of, you know, bullying. Is it the monkey mask? Well, maybe it is. Maybe it is that monkey hey, mask. Let me ask you something. We didn't plan on this, and I can oh answer first if you, if you want. Oh boy! Like so, this movie is all about the gift. This episode will air in December, and it's Christmas relevant. Read what is like, and this you know, I'm sort of giggling leading up to this question. It's really meant to actually be a question to you. Like, can you remember like a really bad gift you received? I mean, in the course of this movie, like. There's a lot of gifts, you know, actual physical gifts that happen. There's metaphorical, but also literal gifts that are are given to the protagonist. Of the, you've got a look on your face like you know exactly how to answer this. Uh, <laughs> well, I've got a look on my face that's like, I, I, I know the answer. I absolutely know the answer. I'm just worried they may eventually listen to the podcast um, <laughs> because there was there was somebody... I think I think it'll be vague enough if I don't give the context in which I knew them. But th but there was somebody um, uh, who I would see repeatedly in a recurring fashion uh, because of uh, because of a, I'll call it a project that I was working on. And um, through the course of this uh, this this project time, I had somebody who would usually give me something as I as I left their home. And it was so apparent every single time that they gave it to me that it was whatever they could find in their pantry or wow. whatever, whatever, you know, that one time I left with this like dusty, nowhere near a box, uh, just this dusty old uh, Santa fountain that, <laughs> that like wow. is supposed to sit out in your lawn. Um, and it had like cobwebs on it and everything still. They, they, they like gave that to me. Wow. Uh, they, they gave me uh, a sizable amount of uh, expired food. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, and well, you I mean, you're a skinny guy, Reed, you know, it's understandable <laughs> like, that someone might think you just need to eat a little bit. I know, but like, there's a difference between being a skinny guy and like, oh, this guy's clearly a garbage disposal. <laughs> and it was so funny because like, because then I would bring this stuff home and my wife would be like, why do you, why do you take this stuff? I'm like, what do you want me to say? Do you want me to look at it and be like, no, I'm good. Right, Please throw right. this away instead of give it to me. I mean, this is one of the most uncomfortable, awkward things to think about. Like just sitting there like, Oh my gosh, I have to just look and say, thank you so much. And then just, you know, take it, take it home and, you know, find some, you know, most of the stuff just, just honestly just kind of went in the trash. But that's the first thing I thought of <laughs> the moment because, because I was on this, uh, what I'm calling a project for an easy like year and a half, two years. 
And, uh, oh, there was a sizable amount of things that I came home with that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that's hilarious. Nobody should have ever, uh, should have ever had. Uh, uh, how about, how about for you? Yeah. I've got, I've got two answers. One related to you and one related to my wife is in the other room, but, oh um, boy, the two people who love you so much. Uh, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you and I have a rich history, uh, a, a, a long friendship at this point and often will exchange gifts at birthdays and Christmas and, I'll let you, I'll let you fill in the gaps. I just, I just remember specifically this, uh. I know when, exactly where you're going. <laughs> well, there's one of two you might think I'm going. I'm, uh, uh, we'll see if I'm, if you're right. So for listeners, uh, in the year 2002, Reed and I moved together out to Southern California and like Felix and Oscar, but even more confined, uh, we're just in each other's presence for 24 hours a day for like, weeks and weeks on end <laughs> and there is nothing but love between the two of us but you know that gets confining and <laughs> and and reed god bless him he introduced me to and and i have great respect and affection for recent nobel laureate bob dylan but reed <laughs> loves <laughs> reed adores the man which rightfully so um but you know, when you're in confined spaces for, with a person for hours and days and weeks and sometimes months on end and all you hear is <laughs> Bob Dylan's, Bob Dylan's shrill, you know, <laughs> in can, can I hear that again? Can you, can you? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It's, um, it's the best. Uh, you know, it can, it can, it can start to grate, uh, G R A T E great. It is absolutely great. I, so yes, right. yes, I'm sure. Make <laughs> make America great again. Oh That's, no, there you there go. It was. There you go. G R A T E. Yes, and it's working. Oh. Um, but enough of that. Um, so yes, we found a place to live. Uh, this is before iPhones and smartphones, and we would lug the big CD player around to listen to the music. And he would listen to Bob Dylan all the time. And it comes to, I, was that Christmas or was it? That was days? Christmas. Yeah. No, no, okay. no. It was Christmas. You were about to leave to go home to spend the actual holidays. So we did it a little early, but sure, it sure. was, but it was absolutely for Christmas. Well, and clearly you can see where this, the punchline of this goes. Like Reed hands me this gift and I, I think I'd already given you whatever I was going to give you. And it was actually something thoughtful and nice and kind and, <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> and reflective of a knowledge of you. And then you hand me this gift. And I open it and it's a Bob Dylan CD. And what happened? Do you remember the look on my face? The look on your face is about all I remember from this story. But I just remember like you opening it and then looking up, <laughs> looking up at me and listeners can't see our faces right now, but looking up at me and I had just the widest grin on my face. Like I was so proud of having given you this gift and you're looking up at me and I saw, I saw without words, just a, a, a half a dozen thoughts go through your head at one time. Like, is he serious? Is he serious? Please tell me he's not serious. <laughs> Please tell me this is not true. Please tell me he does not just give me this Bob Dylan CD and be so yeah. proud of it that yeah. he's given me a Christmas gift and all this. But it was, a, it was a gag. It was a joke. You, you it played it well. Joke. The other one I'll try to do in brief. Um, so, right after my wife and I moved uh, to Charlotte where we currently reside, um, because I didn't have a job yet, I just consumed a lot of television, namely the TV show Smallville, um, which... I, I, you know, even in hindsight, I'm not 100% sure what, I mean, I think we developed some peers that were into it and I had, had not watched it at that point. And I mean, just consumed this show for, for hours and days at a time. Um, this is before kids, of course, when you could still do this kind of silliness. And what, what Tracy, my wife didn't know at the time was 
I was pretty ambivalent about the show. Like I liked kind of the first season or two, but I really, at that point after that was just kind of watching it. Cause it was, I was in it, you know, and I don't like to stop things. So she doesn't know that she just knows Nathan just watched an enormous amount of TV specific <laughs> to one very specific show. So that Christmas, my sweet wife is handing me my first gift and I open it sort of like your Bob Dylan, though she didn't intend it as, as a joke. And it's Smallville season one. And in my head, in my head, I'm like, ah, all right. You know, you can't be a jerk. And, uh, it, it, I had Smallville season one. So you got to smile and be thankful and say, yay. <laughs> so then, so then she hands me the next gift and I open it. It's Smallville season two. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wait, wait. Then she hands me another gift. Oh no. And it's Smallville season three. Oh my God. All of a sudden I went from feeling like, Oh, well, you know, I've got Smallville season one. All right. To having three of them and thinking, I don't even know how you do this. How do you do this as a married person? Navigate this conversation of like, thanks. Oh my so, gosh. That's yes. Awesome. The oh, gift. So great. The gift. Yeah, oh, it, man. Just, it just kept on giving. Oh, that's so true. I will say before we hop off the of Smallville, this is relative to nothing related to gifts, but uh, <laughs> I, we, um, my wife and I were also in the first year of our marriage, I think, traveled through the entire run of Smallville. And we have very fond memories of just, you know, sort of the early days of our marriage and watching Smallville and, um, you know, just a lot of, a lot of fun things, even though I feel the same way you do. Like I, I kind of adored the show early on and, and felt uh, a little bit more tedious about it as time went on, but a lot of fond memories of just remembering that show. But one show that we watch right now that we enjoy uh, quite a bit is uh, the new Supergirl. And so it, it, it was funny because we were all out with our family at uh, Universal Studios uh, very recently. And uh, we get off of the Harry Potter ride and we're reconvening with the rest of our immediate family. And uh, just sort of, you know, my my father-in-law, mother-in-law were there and, you know, uh, Jen's sister and her husband, family and everything. And, and so we've got a, a group there. And all of a sudden, Jen just looks at me and says, look, look, look over there. And I look over and it's, it's super. Did she cool. say, up in the sky? Uh, no. It's a bird. That would have been better. <laughs> I, just, I mean, like, I, I think she, yeah. But see, here's the practical thing is she was trying to get me to look over my shoulders. So if she said, love to look up in the sky, I would have done that and I would have missed it. Um, but, but you, you know, had to she, get this story in, didn't you? Yeah. It's, it's so funny. Um, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I look over and there's uh, Melissa Benoist and uh, and sure enough, like it's really funny because as much of a fanboy as I think I am, my father-in-law is, good Lord, I love him. He is so much a fanboy. Like like if he sees somebody from from a show that he watches or from somebody he watches. So I, I just sort of lean in and say, you know, hey, we love your show and move on thinking, okay, she's here with her family and she's going to go do this, you know, the Universal Studios thing. But then the next thing I know, I turn around and like my father-in-law is like talking to her <laughs> and he's having a conversation and uh, to... To uh, her credit, to her immense credit, she was far more gracious than she probably needed to be because she stopped and took pictures with us. And she she and uh, her husband, Blake Jenner, who had uh, he's been on the Supergirl show before and everything. But you said Smallville and I just that was a and you just couldn't resist. I couldn't resist, man, because I'm because I because I was sort of like I, a it gift. was a gift. Yeah, it was. It was, it was. That was like a cool gift. That was you like a. <laughs> it was like a that was that wasn't no Bob Dylan's three nope. seasons of Smallville gift. Nope. That was like <laughs> that was like that was like Jesus shining down. Like, let me show you what I'm gonna that do. That was no go. old old Chef Boyardee as you're leaving the house. What? 
<laughs> your your people who handed you old food. <laughs> oh, now it makes sense. I was like, <laughs> You're are you hungry? Learning. What are you talking about, Chef Boyardee? <laughs> what in the world is it? Oh. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here to talk about Joel Edgerton's The Gift, but... <laughs> But you never, you never quite know what you're gonna, what we're gonna give you when, um, when this is our gift to our listeners here at the fear of God. Okay, so let's let's redirect, let's uh, set the wrapping paper to the side, and there's another gift behind the tree over here, and open this up. So I had I had never seen the gift. Um, I Mm. knew that I was aware of it when it came out. And remember people on Facebook or what have you talking about it. You know, I remember just it getting some buzz, but I had not seen it. Um, was this your second time or 10th? Yeah, this was, or? yeah, this was my second time watching it for this was my second time seeing it. Do you know, you probably do, but, uh, old Joel Edgerton was also young o- Uncle Owen, uh, in I do know that. Attack of the Clones. Um, little baby. I do know that. I didn't put it together until much, until even after seeing. I, I saw him in Warrior and, of course, loved him in, oh, in that. Warrior so good. Yeah. Um, and then I saw him in this, and it wasn't until after seeing both of those that I put together that he was Uncle Owen. He's also in a Midnight Special that you just watched a couple months ago. That's right. That's right. And I love him You know him what's in interesting that. about seeing him in, in The Gift? He does not look like himself, you know. Oh, no, and that's intentional. Yeah. Like, was there a prosthetic or something, do you know? No, like- uh, what he did, I found out that he he basically, he dyed his hair, like sure. purposefully gave himself like this really bad dye job, like this sort right. of like unnatural color right. because he wanted his character to have an immediately off-putting look. You know, mm-hmm. because he's, I mean, he's a handsome man. He's, he's athletic. He's not somebody that you would immediately feel sort of put off by right. if you were to see him in a film. And especially like, he, you know, he's played a number of leads. And, and so he specifically wanted his character to have this sort of, uh, something's off about this guy. Right, right. So like, you know, so. Well, I do love that they, the goatee and the earring are a perfect way to do that. In yeah. Fact, I wrote ex- that exactly. down. The goatee <laughs> and the earring. That's, that's, a, isn't it funny? That's an immediate, like, tell you know this person's yeah. not credible you know <laughs> this person's gonna be someone you're not sure about why because he's got a goatee and an earring that's right speaking of him i'm really anxious to see actually speaking of midnight special um jeff nichols who directed oh. that has just released loving um yeah. that is badly want to see that it might be in wide release right now we're recording in early november but uh that looks very very powerful, very good. Regardless, yeah. uh, the gift. So, um, yes, first time I'd seen it. Um, one, in terms of just as we often do on our show, just talking about likes and uh, dislikes about the movie itself. I was happy to see, and I feel stupid. I didn't, I didn't IMDb her name, her actual name before doing this, but uh, the the gal from Fargo. I mean, the neighbor. I mean, the TV show. Oh Fargo. yes, yes, yes. Uh, Allison Tolman. Yeah. Um. So that was fun to see. I really did. I haven't seen se- season two of Fargo, but really enjoyed season one. And um, so that was fun to see her show up in there. I. It's it's funny, you know. You watch a movie like this, and we talked on on witches about the faculties the film medium affords you. And there's this specific moment in the store. And again, I knew nothing about the movie. I didn't even really know what the genre, what the subgenre was. Like, I, I just didn't know what I was getting into. But there's a moment when they're in the store when they first encounter Gordo, you know? Right, right. Where the clerk asks them for some info and 
and you don't even see this happen on screen, but you hear it, the audio of him conveying their address. Yes. And in that immediate moment, I was like, yep, there it is right there. Like yeah. whatever's about to happen in this movie, it starts right there. Yeah. Is yep. him overhearing their address. Um, so to me personally, like, I think there was a lot, a lot to like about this movie. It's, it's, it's got a great tone. Uh, it's, it's, it's very encroaching. It's kind of, you know, you mentioned a minute ago, thriller or horror as a married person. This is a horror movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I mean, this is, this is kind of, if there's a subgenre for it, this is marriage horror. Um, (laughs) and yeah. And so I think they really nail a lot of that. I think just as a, as a kind of what ultimately reveals itself as kind of this cat and mouse thing, they really, he really nails that sort of thread. And, you know, God bless him. I love some Jason Bateman. You know, I just, I've enjoyed him ever since, you know, for me personally, Arrested Development was what really, of course, put him back on the map. And that's just a heck of a show. But you didn't see Teen Wolf 2? I'm sure I probably did at some point. We'll probably cover that one, you know, uh, for the fear of God, Teen Wolf 2. Not Teen Wolf, Teen Wolf 2. Oh, oh no, it'll be, yeah, specifically Teen Wolf 2 with, uh, yep. with, with Jason Bateman. Well, and I, I think I obviously also adore Jason Bateman. I've, I've seen a lot of, you know, sort of his recent, uh, surge in popularity as, as heading up a bunch of comedy films, but this is hands down. I mean, no contest, uh, even above Arrested Development. This is my favorite performance I've ever seen him in. I think, I think he delivers, he, he delivers such a solid performance in this that I want him to get different kinds of work than he typically tends to get of the, of sort of the, I, I, I think he's kind of always plays the over it guy in any sort of comedy, you know, like he's, he's just over life. He's over whatever situation he's in. He's just, he's, he's just above it and over it. And he's already, the moment you meet him in any film, he's already tired of whatever's going on. And this provided such an opportunity for him to play some beats that I wasn't really prepared for, especially the first time I saw it. You know, you're, you're, you're not prepared for him to be as genuinely unlikable. As he as his character becomes throughout throughout the course of the film. But I think he just I mean, all of the acting is strong. Joel Edgerton obviously delivers a great performance. Rebecca Hall delivers a great performance. Um, even the, the uh, sub characters that only are in a scene or two, they all deliver fine performances. But the real standout for me in this is is Jason Bateman. I think Jason Bateman just absolutely hits a home run from a performance perspective. And I just, that was part of what drew me in seeing it the second time is I'm like, Oh yeah, I just, I love watching his performance in this and watching sort of the, um, the ripping away of the veneer that we see in the first like 15, 20 minutes where he's just kind of playing what we're used to seeing him as, but that definitely shifts. And I love watching him as an actor really relish that shift and play those different beats. Well, and you and I talked earlier today, like, I, I totally agree with you. I think the casting is very strong. Jason Bateman, what I actually wrote down is I put his name and then a slash and wrote Kyle Chandler, who I also adore. And, and they don't have the same kind of warmth. I mean, Kyle Chandler is definitely sort of exudes a more warmth than necessarily Bateman might. But what I'm trying to say is you naturally like them. You know, you mm-hmm. see Jason Bateman on screen, you see a Kyle Chandler on screen, you just kind of like those guys. Um, and so it's interesting in terms of the casting, you know, to, to sort of flip that on its head a bit that the affection you may just inherently have for Jason Bateman really gets put to the test 
in this particular movie. So, uh, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about a few elements. I, I actually, I feel bad when I say, well, I didn't like X, Y, or Z because that makes it sound like I'm somehow dismissing the movie. And I actually don't mean that at all. I found the movie very, very effective at what it was going for. And in fact, really unsettling, you know, and, and kind of yeah. in the way it's intending. But there were a few elements that are important for the plot. But for me personally, felt a bit of, I, I had to just sort of buy in on. Um, and two of those specifically was one for me personally, it was a bit of a stretch that she is so accommodating to Gordo so early. I just think for a character that feels like a very kind of vulnerable, you know, we, you start to learn a little bit about background, very kind of fragile background in terms of her experience and life experience. To me, it felt like a big buy-in that she's that sort of open to his coming around the house, coming in the house. I don't know. Again, it, maybe it's a nitpick, but it just felt like, okay, well, that feels like a stretch that it's that quick, but I'm going to go with it because clearly it's going to serve the story. And I, I think sort of in the spirit of that, too, you just outlined your affection for Bateman's performance, which I wouldn't disagree with. You know, I think the movie, the feature film makes it challenging sometimes to make these sort of about faces that characters have and his, I always struggle with the, when in, in a story, when a character, two characters are in deep relationship with each other and it's revealed that one of them has this enormously rich secret life they've kept from them. And, 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 and in this particular scenario, in this particular story, Again, sort of like her accommodating of Gordo so early, it felt like a big ask, which I was willing to do, but it felt like a big ask to buy that he's got that much dirt on these people and that that's his actual persona anyway. You know, so again, that may, may be nitpicking, but those were a few things that did kind of stand out to me as like, I wish there could have been a few more, even 10 more minutes of runtime or a little more organic getting there. Um, sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does make sense. I mean, I, I, I I'm going to I'm going to agree with one element and disagree with the, another one only slightly. Um, I think, well, I don't even know that I would disagree with it. I'll nuance it a little bit that like where I'll agree with you is I definitely feel like it's difficult in the feature length runtime. You're with these characters for an hour and a half hour, 45 minutes. And so it's difficult to really buy in when you see someone and and you invest in a relationship for, you know, the 20 minutes that you're watching this relationship unfold. And then, like you said, to believe that, wow, so there was really all of this hidden. You and I talked off mic about Stephen King's story, A Good Marriage, where the conceit of that story is that, and you find this out very early on in the story, but, you know, potential spoilers for it. You find out very early on that uh, a woman who has been married to her husband for a couple of decades, um, that her husband is a serial killer and she never knew about it. That's more difficult to believe necessarily that somebody could spend that much time with somebody. But what I think is is key to note about the gift is that and we didn't really talk about this, but I'm kind of realizing that you know, I don't know that much. I know quite a few things, things that have become more relevant just in our marriage and in our life, but I don't know that much about my my wife's high school experience. Like I, you know, uh, the, the, the moment that you're referring to is sort of the rich history of the gift is basically talking about, you know, something that, that, that took place in high school. And for me, I'm just saying, like, I do believe 
to a degree, to at least some degree, that it is possible junior high and high school, it's kind of its little bubble, its own little bubble where things, you know, have happened, where people are not really the way that they will eventually, well, we hope not, the way that they will eventually be, you know, in the real world, in the adult world. And uh, I could believe that he could have gone through his entire marriage. I mean, keep in mind, whether he's faking it or not, he does not recognize Gordo when he first meets him. That like, like it, it, it apparently in the narrative of the film is so buried in his own mind as to not be recognizable when he sees the man as an adult. You know, like it's, I don't know, I, I, I didn't have as difficult a time buying it um, as. Well, let me, let me, let me, let me nuance a little further. I'm, I'm not expressing a problem with this guy was a jerk 25 years ago in high school that I don't have a problem with that at all. What I struggled with was the behavior we learned that he even still practices today, which is, Oh, I see. I see. I've got, yeah. I've got dossiers on people who have wronged me and are doing background checks on people. I want more info on, you know what I mean? Like that was the stuff that I struggled with a little bit. Like, Really? That's a little yeah. bit of a, a a heavy stretch. Um, yeah, the thing of, you know, I'm with you, like something you did, a person did 25 years ago, not being an immediate factor in a person's life and being revealed, that doesn't bother me at all. So, right, so, so right. yeah, I mean, I, again, it, it, we don't need to spend much, uh, really any more time there, but it was just something that like how much those sort of behaviors were still in practice for him was a little hard to buy in on, right. but regardless, um, you know, let's, let's, I, I feel like this movie's got a lot of thematic stuff to, to sort of uh, brush up against or, or dive into or absolutely as we typically do, you know, just uh, want to chat about, because again, you know, is it thriller? Is it horror? Is it somewhere in the middle? I mean, I do think there are some legitimately creepy to, to scary scenes in this. Oh yes. You know, <laughs> it's funny. Um, I was watching it with my wife in the other room and the, the, the one I will point to as uh, up until the last scene when he's watching the video that Gordo recorded, which is its own level of terrible. Um, Oh man. The one kind of primary scary scene is when she's in the shower and Oh she, wow. Yeah. <clears throat> she detects movement outside of the shower, but it's all fogged up. It's steamed up. Well, then she wipes the steam away and Gordo's face is right there. Whew. Well, I actually, I, I sort of uh, elicited an, oh my God, and <laughs> my, my wife just laughed from the other room. It was really funny. Um, <laughs> I mean, that was, that was a legitimate jump moment. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, I think for me, I, I would agree with you. Like, I think for me, the, the film is more just sort of playing with some uncomfortable and unsettling moments. That moment you just referenced is an unquestionable jump moment. I jumped out of my skin the first and second time I watched it. But I think in general, the film is playing more with a constant and ever increasing sense of dread that is, you know, we've talked about before in other, in other horror films, but I think this film really gets it right that there's a lot of tension very early on. There's a lot of uh, just unsettled feelings. And that's something that I that I really responded to every new moment, every new scene that happened. I just began to feel more and more tense is the only word that I can think of. Just just I was constantly on the edge of my seat, uh, even the second time around and knowing what was really happening or what was really behind all of these events. I still was very gripped 
by what I was seeing. And I think that's not only a credit to the performances, but to Edgerton's sense of directorial pacing. The fact that he's able to establish these moments that create a mood and make you feel very much like, you know, something bad is always on the horizon, which we, you know, come to find out it, it absolutely is, <laughs> especially especially for Jason Bateman's character, Simon. Something is very, very much, you know, uh, about to unravel and about to fall apart for him. I think uh, unless you had another sort of scary moment, I think there's a theme that I'd like to uh, dive into. Did you have anything else you wanted to mention from a technical or frightening aspect of things? Um, I would like to pat myself on the back, which I do like to do just in life in general, but good for I, you. <laughs> thank you. I'd like to give myself a gift here. <laughs> I, I was intentional of texting you during the movie, this screenshot, because oh, yes. I like, I like when I can, cause I don't always do this when I can forecast or, or sort of call something in a movie before it's actually revealed. And the scene when Gordo invites them over and they agree against Jason Bateman's wishes to go to dinner with him. And it leads to this big confrontation. Well, it's this palatial house, you know? Um, oh yeah. And, and immediately you're as a viewer, like, no way this can't be right. You know? <laughs> and I, I wrote down in that moment, two things he's recording them or it's not his house. And I was happy. I was just happy to discover I was right on both accounts. Both of them. Yeah. 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 And I don't know. It just, there's something fun about a movie like this where when you, even when you can do something like that, like it does, it feels less predictable as in, Oh, that was lazy and more like, okay, this is fun. You know, this is going to be right. a good ride of a movie. Um, yeah. and certainly, certainly it got there, but that's the only other sort of technical thing I would say is just, is just, you know, patting myself on the back. So we can move on into your themes. <laughs> yeah. You were, you were smart for once, buddy. Yeah. I, I'm I so happy it. about you. Uh, thank you, brother. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. Uh, I, uh, we will get back to the gift literally in about 30 to 45 seconds, but I, I did not catch the ending of Sixth Sense. I didn't see that one coming, but, um, I famously called the usual suspects. Um, like I say famously, I but I don't believe you. Know, you. I did. I did. I knew it like so early on. I, uh, and, and that was such a dramatic departure from what you would expect normally. So I understand all of this to validate. I know what it feels like to need to pat yourself on the back for at least being a little bit ahead of the filmmakers or a little bit ahead of the story guy. You're like, I knew it. I and knew you, that. you walked us, you walked us into a, a fear of God theme reference with the usual suspects because it, lest we forget the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was what? Convincing oh. the world that he didn't exist. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Kaiser Cersei for life. Go ahead. Themes. Well, we'll see you later, everybody. Um, <laughs> uh, Merry Christmas. So, <laughs> um, so the, the first thing that I want to talk about, th there was a moment, uh, and you know what? I should have written the quote down, but I think I'm actually going to look it up because I will, I will censor it. There's, there's a lot of, uh, uh, saucy language in this. Saucy or salty? Uh, uh, you know what? I think I was trying to say salty and saucy came out like S A L C Y, which is not a, a different word. movie. Yeah, it's <laughs> gonna be a whole different podcast now. But uh, yeah, I don't even know that if I can if I can quote this because there's actually so much in it. But basically, what what Jason Bateman is saying is it's after. His wife, Robin, has discovered that he mistreated Gordo in high school and she confronts him about it and she confronts him because she's gone behind his back. And I will say that the film kind of in this moment specifically, but but uh, elsewhere, once you once you discover for those of you who have not seen it, there is a conceit to this film. Again, spoiler alert. 
ahead. If you have not seen this film, if you haven't seen it, see it. It's very, very good. Um, but there's a conceit to this film that what the situation is, the reason Gordo has so sort of obsessively tried to insert himself into Simon and Robin's life is that when they were in high school, Simon and Gordo went to high school together. Uh, Simon spread a completely untrue, vicious, nasty, false rumor about Gordo just because he could, just because he was popular enough and people would believe him and, and basically unraveled Gordo's life to the degree that uh, Gordo's father tried to kill him because the lie that was spread about Gordo involved uh, him being a closet homosexual. And uh, so basically it, it tempered everything that came afterwards in Gordo's life. And uh, when Simon is confronted about having done this thing to Robin, and this is the statement that I keep trying to get out and I keep forgetting to say it. I think the film walks right up to the edge, right up to the edge of after school special, like right, <laughs> right up to the edge of it with this theme. And I think it's actually a testament to the, I mean, it was, it would have been so easy with a lesser script and a lesser director. It would have been so easy for this film to fall into that, you know, on a very special blossom category, you know, of, of like non-bullying and not, you know, like things like that. But I, but I, I do want to be clear that I don't think the film ever dives into that. But what I found very compelling is that after Robin confronts Simon about his uh, mistreatment of Gordo and about his bullying, he goes off on her as like, uh, he said, look, my, my life was, okay, so, so I'm a jerk. He, he doesn't use the word jerk, but he's like, okay, so, so I'm this terrible person and I made his life horrible. Okay. He's like, my dad was horrible to me. You know, treated me like garbage, but he said, I took it. I sucked it up and I'm not on my hands and knees crying about it, praying about it. You know, he's, he's talking about like not being stuck in the past. And this is, this is, uh, unusually, uh, unusually timely. Like he says, I made something of my life. This world's about winners and losers and we're all in the same nasty. Well, he doesn't use the word nasty, but we're on the same playground. And guess what? This guy lost and now he's just moaning about it. And that's just him being stuck because he wants to, to be stuck because he can't get past that single moment. And it was very telling for me when Bateman is going off on this that he's, he's, he's compartmentalizing everybody in the world in the winners and losers category and talking about Gordo clearly as a, Hey, you know, if he couldn't rise above that, and that's his problem. Then that's his, you know, issue that he couldn't break free of that stereotype that he can taking no responsibility whatsoever for a blatant and despicable lie that he spread about this, this kid. And we all remember high school. High school can be a tough place and, and it can be very challenging. Some people have very pleasant high school experiences. I think you would even say, Nathan, that you had a pleasant high school experience. I had a decidedly unpleasant high school experience. And I think that's true for a lot of people. And there's a mentality that says you've got to, oh, you've got to just get past that and, and move on. And the people who are, I think I wish that I could say it was resigned to high school, but the people like Simon who are terrible and are willing to take no responsibility for their terrible behavior and terrible choices, um, they just think it's everybody else's problem. And they think that sure. because they've made it, because they've gotten past the hardships in their own life, then everybody else should just suck it up and they should all, you know, make it past the hardships in their life and take no responsibility whatsoever for any sort of potential damage that could have been, could have been done by them just mouthing off one time because they felt like it or as in this case, 
uh, Robin asks his friend Greg, why did Simon spread this lie about Gordo? And Greg simply says, because he could. Right. I'm going to talk about a frightening moment because he could, because he could get away with it. He did this thing. Like this, this idea of just sort of, you know, we've talked before. We talked about it, uh, I I believe in, uh, I forget which episode, either unfriended or, or, um, you know, witches or something. I actually think it was witches about like washing your hands of, responsibility for for something even though you are in a position to take responsibility for it one of the things that i thought about was that after simon sort of is confronted with this he agrees to go apologize to gordo but when he when he goes to apologize to him he he basically feels like he's entitled to just be let off the hook i mean he definitely it's 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 the textbook definition of a non-heartfelt apology and sure. he basically you know, sort of just throws this in Gordo's face like, oh, you know, uh, look, I'm here and I'm apologizing because I want to be. OK, so you're going to let this go. You're going to forgive me or not. You know, like that's the right, that's the attitude, right. the mentality he takes. And what I thought is I wrote this down. I said, you cannot coerce forgiveness. Sure. You cannot force someone to forgive you. But beyond that, you do not understand grace if you somehow feel entitled to it. You do not understand the power of forgiveness and the power of grace if you somehow feel like you automatically deserve it. Because right. the idea of grace is completely contrary to deserving it. We, you know, we don't deserve it. We don't right. deserve forgiveness. Right. We don't deserve grace. But Simon is moving through this situation as if he is absolutely entitled to be let off the hook and to be forgiven and to, and for this all to just go. Well, and I mean, it's really because he doesn't want to be there at all and it reads all over him. I mean, there's nothing contrite. There's no contrition whatsoever about that, that right. encounter. Right. Um, and it's interesting, you know, you, you, cause, cause honestly, to me, the, the, the confrontational scene where he says, when he confesses to what he did, he said, you know, why'd you do it? Well, because I could. That actually doesn't bother me as much because kids do stupid things. What I think is interesting about his character, though, is he never stopped. Yeah. You know, because I, I think, I think there is a degree to which, you know, people as teenagers, as young adults are just prone to idiotic behavior. Like, like, right, right. that's not, that's neither an indictment nor a defense. It's just sort of is. You hope to mitigate and minimize the worst of that. But like me as a viewer, learning that about him it's like well that that is bad but that's not the worst you know in other words right, not as right. in i can not as not as in i can brush past that but the worst about this character is the fact that he never stopped you know like right. he is still bullying and he is still seeking his own aggrandizement at the yeah. expense of others you know and so that to me is the character flaw of of simon you know it's not yeah. it's not that 30 years ago he did this one thing um or 25 years ago or whatever no, I mean, I think you make some really interesting points. There's, there, there were two themes, one kind of minor, although it's, it, it is major as far as just life and relevance, but it, it becomes a bit more minor in the movie than when I initially wrote it down. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to me, what I wrote down is you take your problems with you. And mm-hmm. at, at, at the, those first 30 minutes of the movie where you're thinking we are watching a relatively whole unit being the two of them, you know, right. Um, right. Bef- bef- before, you know, the deep fractures, but all they did was relocate without actually dealing with what are clearly the problems in their marriage. And so in other words, you right. can't take your problems with you. So I do think there's a little bit of thematic thing there, but where the movie ultimately goes, doesn't, doesn't lend a whole lot to that 
idea, but, but piggybacking on where you're going, I, I feel like this movie has really created a fascinating resonance in me. You know, I, it is not untrue what you said a minute ago. I mean, I had a, I had a pleasurable high school experience, which, you know, I learned shortly after and, and on into adult life that, that, that was not a similar scenario for most folks, but, but even regardless of the overall tone, there is this interesting thing we want to do. Is it people in general? Is it American culture? Is it the church? Who knows? Um, but we want to just say, Oh, that's dumb kid stuff, mm. you know, or, or when you look, I, I think what I'm, you know, you're going to have to help me wrangle some of these thoughts. It's a bit shotgun here, but I have this image of a number of years ago. I'll start it this way. A number of years ago, one of my favorite singer-songwriters, a guy named Don Chaffer, who uh, on again, off again is the band Waterdeep with his wife, Lori, in maybe Relevant Magazine or something, had written this article. And it really spoke to me because the article was an apology to a high school peer oh, wow. for, how, for how he had treated them. Mm. And, and, you know, I think the impetus was just this sort of, it was about confession, it was about owning one's mistakes and, and taking responsibility, not just consigning a thing to the, the sins of youth sort of thing. Right. But right. it really, it really sunk home with me. And this, this movie really speaks to this notion. And I think there's this interesting way in which we want to compart, we, we want to compartmentalize those years. And yet Jason Bateman's character. And I think our lives would testify to the fact that you can't. Right. You know, right. Who you are there may not be the full version of who you are now, 15, 18, almost 20 years later, but the seeds of who you are there are definitely matured into who you are now. Right. And right. as you sort of look, look down the hallway of life and sort of examine, like, I don't know, I've, I've thought this a lot lately, even unrelated to watching the movie The Gift of the need for self assessment. And the need, the, the constant need for reflection that illuminates where and when and how you have hurt people. Yeah. In, right, in a, in a way right. that, in a way that you, you know, whether you're like Jason Bateman's character who intended it or in a way like most of it where we were just trying to navigate our life, but would say in navigating our life, we cause some problems for someone else. You know what I mean? Right. Oh, oh, and, oh, absolutely. And, and, and what does it mean to own that in, in an actual faithful way that isn't just, man, I did this crappy thing to this person 20 years ago, because I'm telling you right now, man, we live in a more connected, smaller world than we ever have in the history of mankind. Right. And your capacity to impart needed forgiveness, perhaps, or your capacity to request needed forgiveness is, has never been more in your hands. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, I know I'm just running off here, but I do want you to, to push or to, to bounce back some. I think it's fascinating the culture we are in right now where responsibility for one's action and actions and deeds has never been less. Right. You know, right. has never been smaller. Like, uh, uh, you know, it, we are, we are in an extremely heightened political season in our country. So some of these conversations can't be avoided if we want to talk about the world we're living in. Right. And I think I it's, understand. I think it's interesting the level of acceptance that was given to our now 
president-elect's words of just 10 years ago when he was in his 50s and the notion that, well, this happened 10 years ago. Mm. Why does that matter now? Right, right. And the movie The Gift is a testament to the fact that what you did 10 years ago, what you said 15 years ago, how you treated a person 15 years ago, if not addressed, has you, you better believe that has an effect on absolutely. how you currently exist in the world. You know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it, so it's funny. I'm going to, I'm going to respond to just a couple of things that you said and then, uh, bleeds rather, rather nicely into something that I had thought about the film. So I definitely think there's two question marks I have about this film that I think the film intends for the audience to have a question mark about. The first thing is, did Simon truly not recognize Gordo when he first met him? Because, you know, when they when they're interacted, I take it that he genuinely did not recognize him, that he genuinely does not know who this person is initially and then begins to sort of understand. You know, there's no dawning on him moment when he realizes like, oh, this is the guy that I spread this nasty lie about. So uh, it makes you wonder, did he really not know who Gordo was initially? And it, it's it's kind of a, an interesting thing. But the second question mark is Gordo writes Simon a note where he says, I was willing to let bygones be bygones. And that's my second question mark is uh, the the whether or not Simon is being genuine when he doesn't know Gordo and whether or not Gordo is being genuine when he says he was willing to let things go and that now it's too late. Because as the film progresses, Simon, as you said, he's still that person. So he continues to make those choices. I believe, as I know you do, we deeply believe in the power of grace. And we deeply believe that upon repentance and upon turning away from that behavior and from that mentality, I will, I've said, I think before on this show, how I don't like the way that some celebrities or popular figures are held accountable for things that they have clearly moved past because they happened decades ago or because they happened, you know, uh, in in a past scenario. And then it comes to light. And now suddenly they're, you know, persona non grata because of something that happened a long time ago. And they're very different people now. That's very different from the type of thing that we see in Simon and from the type of thing that we are uncertain about in in uh, our, our president elect or in other sort of figures out there is have they changed or are they right. still this person? Right, right. If they have changed, I think the Christian posture and I think the, you know, the good posture is they've changed. Then grace says, try again. So, so try again and, right. and, right. and have, have a new opportunity with a new slate to, to make better choices now. I, I deeply, deeply believe that. But the question when you're confronted with a Simon-esque figure is, are, are they different? Or is this continuing to be more of the same? And one of the things that I wrote down, because the 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 one of the film's final moments, the the gift. Of, I mean, Gordo gives Simon and Robin a number of gifts through the course of the film, but the I think the definitive gift of the title is the package that Simon discovers sure. in the end after his his uh, child has been born, after his son's been born, and you say his child. Oh yeah, but are we certain that it is his child? Uh, we are. We are not certain because, as we come to find out, uh, the the gift was that uh, Simon discovers that Gordo had access to their home and made a video when Robin was unconscious, 
and made a video of him. Basically, it's 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 a pretty frightening and disturbing scene. Yeah, but it is. Uh, but Gordo made a video of her passed out and him just being Present. near her, yeah. Yeah. being there. Doesn't doesn't film anything that he actually may or may not have done, but films being present there and deeply implying that perhaps it's, it's, yeah, it's suggestive enough. Yeah. That maybe, maybe the child that Simon and Robin have been trying to have and are now, and have now had, maybe that's not Simon's child. That's the implication given. And here's the thing is that when Gordo talks to him about that, he says, okay, I didn't touch her. There you go. I didn't, I didn't lay a hand on her or did I? And, and plants this sort of, thing in Simon's mind. And here's what I wrote down as Simon is just in utter distress about this. I wrote down, you will believe about others what you know to be true about yourself. You will believe if you know yourself to be capable of deceit, you will believe treachery in other people. If you know yourself to be capable of lying, if you know yourself to be capable of bullying, if you know yourself to be capable of a threat, you will believe that about other people. Sure. And we almost can't escape. You talk about like needing to be self-aware and needing to, to really adopt some, some responsibility of ourselves. I think there's a significant amount of self-deception that goes on, but I think even more so, we are not really confused about who we really are. We're just in outward denial about who we really are. That in our private thoughts, as we lay our head down at night, we know what we're capable of, and we know what what there might be in our interactions with other people, but we don't really ever confront those things. We don't have the courage to try to be better people. We don't have the courage to try to make different choices. You know, uh, Gordo says to them in their dinner, he talks about, you know, sort of the bad things that happen. You know, oh, there's some good things, there's some bad things. But he says, you know, early in the film, and this is a very on-the-nose line, but he says the bad things, they can be a gift. The bad mm-hmm. things can be a gift. And I think in light of what the, where the film actually goes and what the film actually winds up doing and saying, I think the point there is that sometimes it can be, you know, what, what did uh, uh, the, the artist Derek Webb say? I believe it was attributed to him that he said, you know, the best thing that could happen to you is for all of your, your sins to be broadcast on, on the six o'clock news or, you know, to be blasted on the front page. I forget the exact quote, but basically for it to, to all come out that this is what you're capable of and this is who you are, that that can be a very liberating thing, but you have to go through a great deal of devastation to have that. And I think that in general... Well, to 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 address that real quick, the, you left off the final part of the quote, which is probably the most important, which uh, is him saying the best thing, and it was, you were at the 6 o'clock news, best thing is for your sins to be broadcast on the 6 o'clock news because then the only thing you would have to lean on is Jesus. In other words, ah, uh, yes. You have you have no artifice of your own that you've created anymore. It's all gone. It's all stripped away. Right. And I want you to finish the thought, but I think that's oh, sure. sort of maybe where you're going. Yeah, and uh it, it's funny because what I was saying what I was thinking of in light of the uh of the film, the scripture that I that was brought to mind, the bad things they can be a gift. There is a Bible verse that's used in the film. And the the Bible verse used in the film is Psalm chapter 7, uh, verses 15 and 16. I'll quote it again real quick. It says, whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit that they've made. The trouble they cause recoils on them and their violence comes down on their own head. That's the, that's the scripture that's used in the film and, of course, is thematically appropriate. But you look one verse earlier than that and it's probably even more frightening and perhaps even more relevant. 
because Psalm chapter 7, verse 14 says this, and get this in light of, of the plot and the narrative of the gift. It says, whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Wow. And it was something that, that, that is this film in a nutshell, is that when you are filled, pregnant with, with evil thoughts, evil attitudes, evil mentalities, e- evil things that you have done, that you've not taken responsibility for, that you've not reconciled for, then you are going to give birth, you, you conceive trouble, and you give birth to disillusionment. What happens to Simon at the end of the film? Right. He is going to be forever, well, first of all, he's lost his career, he's lost his family, and he's going to forever be haunted by the question mark that I get the impression Gordo is never going to relieve, one way or another, of whether or not that's really his child, and whether right. or not this this horrible thing has happened. And it's it's... It's a frightening thing to recognize that sometimes th- what it takes to confront ourselves is just a devastating mirror that comes and, and the same exact thing that we have done to other people. I mean, I, I don't remember the exact reference, but, you know, the, the a person's going to reap what they sow, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, right. that, um, you know, be don't be deceived that whatever God is not mocked, whatever someone sows, they are going to reap that. And. It's 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 a frightening frightening thing to come to terms. Well, with. and and interestingly, I don't think the movie actually intends. I could be wrong. Um, you know, I, I don't know that the movie intends a hopeful ending uh, for Simon mm-hmm. there. But 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 at the same time, I don't know that's totally true either. So so yes, um, actually, in the movie, I think Gordo may actually reference this. It didn't originate with this band, but it made me think of the U2 quote, uh, they say a liar won't believe anyone else. And he sort of says that to Simon and, and it's a fascinating truth for him because, and, and you make a good point or, or, you know, you brushed up against this a minute ago of how we view the world is naturally how we anticipate everybody else does too. Right. Right. Which is why someone like me who's hopelessly, and occasionally naive, but hopeless, hopelessly optimistic naturally presumes, Oh, you're, you're a trustworthy person. My wife tells me I'm too trusting and uh, yeah. gets me in trouble. But, but fascinatingly, you know, I, it, it is, it is curious to me if, if, if there's an intended hopefulness to the end because, and the only reason I would say that is that line you reference. Like that's as the on the nose line that says bad things can be gifts too. Mm, and. Yeah. And you can't deny, although slightly perverse or inverted, that inherently a gift is meant as a positive thing. So, right, so right. there's this, there's this contrast happening there. And I thought this is where you were going a minute ago, this notion of your, your sins, your worst, the worst of you being broadcast because you have nothing left to lean on. That is where Simon is. And there's actually, I mean, in a faithful, in a faithful view of, of life and people, there's a hopeful moment there. You know what I mean? Right, like, like right. the artifice he has created, like Gordo is a blunt hammer and has broken the cycle of Simon's life. Yes. Yes. You know, absolutely. And, and, and no one in life or in observing what this character goes through would wish that on someone. But at the same time, the Simon you see at the end of the movie is broken. He is defeated. His own methods have been used against him in a way right. that he always used against other people, regardless right. of who actually ultimately, whether it was Gordo or not, although you could say that was the source of his 
this sort of pattern of, of bullying people and lying right. and creating falsehoods. But I do think if you were to cut ahead six months, you know, you said mm. this is not a Hallmark movie, but, but has right. notes of, and airs of that, you could, I could perceive a hopeful resolution for that character. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like a, mm-hmm. a, a humbling has occurred to him of the worst yeah. kind and that that humbling could actually lead to a repentant kind of position in life. I don't, I don't know. That's, that's conjecture, but I could see where that's a possibility. And, and like I said, does the movie intend that? I would not lean into that except for it does quote scripture, which, you know, lots of things do that, but, sure. but you're invoking Judeo Christian sort of thought and philosophy there. Right, right. And right. also the line, bad mm-hmm. things can become gifts, you know, yeah. or can be gifts, you know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting well, thought. I think as a, as a possible final note, not whether or not the film intends that, I think, I think two things. First of all, some of, some of whether or not you believe that may say more about you than it does about the film. And I think sure. that's one of the brilliant aspects of this film is that it does leave a couple of question marks with enough evidence on either side that some of it you're going to walk away and it'll probably reveal a little bit about you and about how you see the world, how you think, right. you know, what happens next, even to the degree of whether or not you think he actually did what he implied that he did. You know, it's mm-hmm. like that says something about how you see things and whether or not Simon will have take this reckoning and make better choices next time. I know that it is possible for people to do that. I know that sure. it is possible for people to have their whole world fall apart and then use that to start making better choices and better decisions uh, to a more hopeful degree, you know, and and maybe maybe that's ultimately the imperative behind confront being confronted with your own ugliness and being confronted with your own the culpability for the for the evil and the nastiness that you've fostered in the world is the opportunity that now having been confronted with it like like Ebenezer Scrooge to to throw a Christmas reference in there like Ebenezer Scrooge you know it's it's not too late and you can you've done a lot of bad things and you you've cast a lot of things off but tomorrow tomorrow you can start anew and grace says Try again. The Lord's mercies yep. are are brand new every morning. They're not used up from the night before. You can start again tomorrow and begin making better choices. And of course, you'll have consequences to deal with. Of course, there will be some some re- repair and recovery time. But that doesn't change the fact that you can begin anew tomorrow, fresh day, new chance. And, it's almost uh, it's almost like uh, uh, like a gift. It's like a gift. That's why they call it the present. <laughs> <laughs> you know the tagline on this movie the tagline on this movie which i think is a little punny but but quite clever is your past will be your present that's that's the tagline on the film. that's actual yeah uh, yeah it's one of them i mean there's like three that's or four funny. as there are with every film but one of them is your past will be your present but i think uh, unless you had anything else burning i think we'll leave it there um the other one was keep the receipt no no it wasn't no it wasn't <laughs> You need you need to go to bed. It's too it's too late for you. This is, this is too much time. Um, well, uh, listeners, we we hope you've enjoyed uh, this conversation. The 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 fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but it's not the end of the conversation, as we say every episode. And uh, next week, uh, before we give you our social media cues, next week uh, is going to be our our Christmas special, if you will. Um, I'll let you look on social media to see what we're actually going to be talking about. But next week is going to be a very uh, an episode. I'm very excited to to present to you guys but um in the meantime you just said present 
I did. I did. (laughs) But in the meantime, you can continue to discuss the gift with us um, in a number of ways. You can reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, Nathan, what's our Twitter handle? Uh, At the fear of God. At the fear of God. And then you can also like us on Facebook or post to us there. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Lackey. And Nathan, they can find you on Twitter. At the Nathan Rouse. And uh, you can also go to morethanonelesson.com to leave a post on, uh, on, or to leave a comment on this particular post. You can email us at fearofgod.com podcast at gmail.com fear of god podcast at gmail.com you could also go to itunes and if you've enjoyed this episode we'd really love for you to leave us a review there um it's definitely the best way for our listenership to grow and for you know to get the word out there about us um in the meantime we'll anticipate that you're having a very um happy holiday season and a merry christmas and we will see you guys uh next week nathan thank you so much for having this chat with me man i appreciate it indeed it's been a gift (laughs) we'll see you guys next week Thank you.